Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to continue and hopefully, God willing, finish chapter 11 of Romans. And we're going to be starting in verse 25. And Alan and I are here together. And we're going to be going verse by verse through the end of this chapter, which is closing out a unit, a unit of chapters 9, 10, and 11. And all of chapters 9, 10, and 11 is about the Israel according to the flesh and the Israel according to the promise. And that promise was that there would be salvation that would come to the nations, to the peoples, the Gentiles. And so we have seen that as we have flowed through chapters 9 and 10. And now we're coming back to chapter 11, that there is a promise for the Israel according to the flesh. And it's so beautiful of this promise of God's redemption that is coming forth from them, and then it will come back to them. And so let's pick up in verse 25. We ended the last session in verse 25, but let's start there today. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now let's look at that verse And remember, it's flowing out of this whole understanding of God's redemption returning back to the natural branches and coming back to the natural branches being grafted back into its own tree. And so when we look at this, we see that there is a partial hardening that has happened to Israel. And what we are defining contextually as Israel is the Israel according to the flesh, the natural branches that were cut off, and how easy it's going to be that the natural branches be grafted back into its own tree. And we look at this partial hardening. It is not a complete hardening. It is a partial hardening. But let's back up a little bit. He says, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Paul is writing back to the believers in the city of Rome, and the majority of them and the audience or the recipients that he is writing to are Gentile background believers. The Jews had been kicked out by Claudius, Jews of every persuasion, every background, and sure, there could have been some filtering back into the city. However, the community of faith in the city of Rome are Gentile believers, And so what he is saying, I do not want you, Gentile background believers, to become arrogant or prideful or wise in your own estimation. He doesn't want them to think that they're better than anybody else, and especially the Israel according to the flesh. Remember, it is the Israel according to the flesh through the remnant that we have talked about in this chapter, the remnant of Jews of Jewish people that are bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And God has always had a remnant and has always been true throughout the history of the nation of Israel. There was a remnant that was faithful to God. And at this time, there is a remnant that is faithful to God from Israel. 
and we're talking about Peter and Andrew and John and uh, James or Jacob. We're talking about Paul, who is writing here. They're all Jewish, and they're all part of that remnant that has received their own Messiah, that is being ostracized within their own communities and within the synagogues, yet they are determined that they know this new covenant, and this new covenant has been fulfilled through the Messiah, and there's only forgiveness of sins in his name, both for Jews and Gentiles, and they are laying down their lives to bring the gospel to the nations. And so, How could the Gentile background believers be arrogant or prideful in their own estimation over the Jewish people? Everything that we have as believers, wherever you come from in the nations, is coming from the Jewish people. And I'll say it one more time. This is a Jewish faith from the Jewish Messiah, a covenant that was promised to the Jewish people, and a remnant of the Jewish people have taken this gospel, the good news, to the nations, and everything that we have is coming from the Jewish people. Remember, salvation comes from the Jews. I think, Scott, looking at it, like we've talked about, I think, in a podcast or two ago, but Paul writing this, he said mainly to probably Gentiles in this particular passage, but you think as a Gentile in Rome, with Christianity being so new, and you have, like you said, Jews like Peter and Paul talking about this Jewish Messiah, but the rest of the Jewish religious sect doesn't believe in it, and they're pushing against it. They're actually persecuting these Jews, so that can be a little confusing. You think about a new Christian in general, even in our day and age, and there's just a lot of questions, a lot of things are happening, but now you're also in Rome where, you know, the Messiah comes from the Jews and they're getting persecuted. Even their own faith is persecuting them. The rabbis and you have the oral law and all of this stuff is just in the mix, this man-made stuff. So, you know, Paul is really, I think, trying to cut to, yeah, don't look at it in your own mental capacity. This isn't in your own strength. This is grace. Don't become arrogant, even though you see the way that the religious Jews and the rabbis and the people that aren't from God are acting. You know, don't take it that way, that say this is still God's chosen people. These are still the people that he has promised to have a covenant with forever. But just being a new Christian can be confusing, but also imagine in that time, Jesus came from the Jews. Why are they so against him? And there's only a few that believe. You know, it would have to be something that these Gentile believers in Rome are thinking in the back of their mind. Right. And later on in this chapter, it's going to talk about how God has brought mercy to all, both to the Gentiles through the remnant of the Jewish people and later on to the Jewish people. And it all begins and ends with God's mercy. So why would we become wise in our own estimation about anything? Also, remember this, Alan, the word Christian is a very vague word historically at this time. We have seen it in Acts chapter 11, This is 57 AD. When it was used in Acts chapter 11, that is around 48 AD. When we look at the second time that it is being used, it is towards the end of the book of Acts going around 60 around 60 AD, and later on it's going to be used in Peter's writings between 63 and 65 AD. There is only three times the word Christian is being used within all of the New Covenant scriptures. So how are these Gentile believers seeing their faith? They're receiving it from the Jewish people. Their understanding about a new covenant that was promised to the Jewish people that is now coming to them. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Even their inclusion with the other 
Jewish believers took a council in Jerusalem, how do we receive them? How do we become the same one in the Messiah? And they understood that it was through the circumcision of the heart, through a work of God's Spirit, through the grace of the Messiah, and not the circumcision of the flesh. So there is so much that is developing at this time. Now, the word Christian is being used more and more as the gospel is going to the Greek-speaking world. But think about in Rome, you had the Latin language and the Greek language. And so how much this word is even being used in the city of Rome at this time, we do not know. Now, by the end of the first century, we are seeing that the word Christian is being labeled for Jewish believers and Gentile believers, especially after A.D. 70. So what I'm saying through this, their whole identity as believers goes back to the Jewish people. It is the root that supports them. They do not support the root. The Messiah and the faithful remnant are the root of God's faithfulness starting from Abraham throughout the patriarchs, throughout the whole history of Israel coming to the Messiah that is now coming through the apostles and the Jewish believers, and they have brought the gospel to the Gentiles, and they are wild olive branches that are being grafted into the tree. So how could they become wise in their own estimation? How could they lift up their heads and say, look at us, that we're greater than the Jewish people and what Israel has done, and they've rejected their own Messiah, but look at us, we are the people of God. Now that sounds silly, but later on within church history, as we go into the centuries, that's exactly what took place. And they did not heed the warning of Paul to the Gentile believers in the city of Rome. Do not become wise in your own estimation. And that's exactly what took place historically. So later on, they're going to look at the Israel according to the flesh and the Jewish people and say they are the Christ killers. God is through with them. God does not want to have anything to do with them. However, they do not recognize the word of God and the prophets and what Paul is saying. There is a promise for the nation of Israel and God's going to redeem them from the inside out. So when we look at this verse, the partial hardening is what Paul is saying. It's not a permanent hardening, but it's a partial hardening until the fullness of the time of the Gentiles comes in. And what I believe that is saying contextually here, the gospel started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, even went to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there's a promise that the nations will come to know the God of Israel through the servant, the Messiah. And when that time comes in, look at the next statement by Paul, verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And it's one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 59, a promise that a redeemer will come to Zion. And that promise has not been lifted. This is a partial hardening. But then it says, when the time of the Gentiles has come in, all of Israel will be saved. Not a remnant, not a few of the Jewish people, but it's talking about a nation coming under the authority of God through the one whom was pierced, through the Messiah, through their own Messiah, 
they will be saved. And the salvation of God, the righteousness of God, God's mercy will be poured out upon them. And this is what we are seeing here. And Scott, just to clarify, I think, you know, verse 26, so all Israel will be saved. I guess I've heard some people say that all Israel means every Jew, you know, throughout time, even in this time now, that that are not accepting Christ and are not receiving him. Um, I don't think Paul's saying that there, but maybe some clarification for anyone that... No, that's sometimes people take things out of the flow of thought and the context. What it is talking about is a future day of redemption for the nation of Israel. What is so unique is that a few years after this, 13 years later, Israel will be destroyed and doesn't come back to life until 1948. Jerusalem does not come back into the hands of Israel, the Jewish people, until 1967. So throughout the centuries... This statement here, people would interpret it in so many different ways, but it was an understanding of Israel in the future and God's mercy being poured out upon them and God's righteousness coming to them. And no, it does not represent the ones that rejected their own Messiah. It represents a day in the future when the time of the Gentiles comes in. And what I believe that is saying is when the gospel has gone out to the last nation and the last people group, And the last language, because when we go into Revelation, we see people from every nation, every tribe, every language around the throne room of God, worshiping God. That is the time of the Gentiles. When that has come in, when God says that's the time that the Gentiles and their time to receive the gospel as it has gone out, then the gospel is going to be coming back to Israel. That's how I would see it. So it's a future day of redemption for people that will cry out to God, not through the rabbinical system, but through their own Messiah from the Jewish people. Look at verse 28, which is also an understanding of what you were asking as well. In verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So right now, they're enemies of the gospel because there's a partial hardening. But in the future, there's going to be a day of salvation. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So God is not through with them. Replacement theology that says that God is through with Israel and the church is the new Israel and God does not have a plan of redemption or anything to do with Israel according to the flesh is completely false. Look at what he is saying. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. What God promised to Abraham, what he promised to Isaac, what he promised to Israel, what he promised to Moses, and what he spoke through the prophets about a day of redemption for the Jewish people and for Israel, that day is coming. They are God's choice. And look at the next verse. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Most of the time we hear this quoted for a person and what God has called them to do. And through the years, maybe they got away from it and someone comes and quotes this verse concerning their life. But contextually, this is a verse that is being quoted for the nation of Israel. God is a faithful God. God chose them. He chose them to be a light to the nations that is being fulfilled through the Messiah. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable for the nation of Israel. He does have a plan for them in the future. 
and this future redemption is something it is something that we can see much more easily today as we're looking back at this time but think about the time of Paul or even after AD 70 or through the centuries of people trying to read what Paul is saying and and looking at it and saying well there's not an Israel how can we ever have a future Israel and you can see how replacement theology could build up within the theology of the church. But something that is always important, that we do not interpret Scripture by current events. We understand Scripture by original intent. And what Paul is saying here is so true. It's a partial hardening, but there's a day of redemption that is coming for the nation that rejected their Messiah, a day of salvation for them. And it's going to come after the time of the Gentiles has come in. Then all of Israel will be saved. And I want to emphasize again, this does not mean a remnant. This is totality. Israel will be under the authority of their God through their Messiah, through a new covenant that was promised to them. And this is a day in the future. Verse 30, for just as you once were disobedient to God, talking about the Gentiles, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. The Jews rejected their own Messiah. By their rejection, salvation has come to the world. Verse 31, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. What I believe that this is saying is that the mercy that was shown to the Gentiles because of their disobedience, God is going to use the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. That's what we see earlier in the chapter, that mercy may come to them as well, that they may be shown mercy. As the gospel went from the Jewish people out to the Gentiles, now the gospel is going to come through the Gentiles, and what God has done among the nations and the mercy that he has shown to them, that mercy is now going to come back to the Jewish people. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Mercy to all is talking about the nations, the Gentiles, the Jewish people to all. It is God's plan to bring forth his mercy to all. And we see this progression from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then there is a partial hardening over Israel, but that is not a permanent hardening. There's going to be a day that the mercy of God is going to be poured out upon the nation of Israel. Verses 33 through 36. And you may be listening and thinking, well, I don't quite understand all of this. But this is something that is clear. God understands it. And God has a plan. And God is the one that is putting all the details together. And we're not able to tell God what he needs to do or to be his counselor. And we walk by faith and we trust God and we see God moving throughout history. And in that, we understand that God is God. We don't have to have everything figured out, but God sits on the throne and his plan of redemption for the world, he's in charge. And this is what these verses really bring out. And Alan, can you read these last four verses for us? Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
When you look at these verses, they explain everything to us in the aspect that God's in charge and God knows what's going on and he knows all things. Remember going back to chapter 8, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. Verse 33 again, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. How can we comprehend the ways of God? How can we even be in the same arena with God when it comes to understanding the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God? Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord? I know speaking for Alan and myself, we seek to know the mind of the Lord and we pray and we read his word, but we do not know the mind of the Lord completely. We can know his ways and what he has given to us. We want to walk in that path. But who has known the mind of the Lord? I cannot say that I know the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor. And it's in that context who has known the mind of the Lord. I cannot tell God for one moment what should be done in my life. We think we know what we need and what is best for us. But every day I have to say, God, not my will be done, but God, let your will be done. And the best place to be is right in the center of God's will. And I cannot become the counselor for the Lord. I want God to be in charge, and I know he knows better for my life, and he knows better for the nation of Israel and this plan of salvation than I would ever know. Haven't you ever talked with someone that says, I don't understand why God does this or God doesn't do this. And if I was God, I would do things this way. And my thought processes always come back. I'm so glad that you're not God (laughs) because I'm not going to put my life and my destiny into your hands. Who are you? Do you know the mind of the Lord? Can you be his counselor? But I trust God completely for the nation of Israel. And I trust God completely for my life and my family. So I'm not willing to be his counselor. I don't know the mind of the Lord in that context. But what I can do is submit my life and my will to the hand of God and say, God, it's not my will. Let your will be done in my life. Do you think it's safe to tie this back to sort of a conclusion to verse 25 where he talks about not being wise? I mean, your own estimation kind of seems like it flows That's kind of the end of that statement there. I think it is. It's bringing a reality. You're trying to be wise in your own estimation, or Paul is warning them, you better trust God. Who are you to be his counselor? And can you know the mind of the Lord? No, not where you can be his counselor. So it's a walk by faith and trusting God with everything within our lives. And yes, I do see a continual flow of thought that is building precept upon precept here. Verse 35, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? And that is such a powerful statement. Everything that is good in our lives comes from God. It doesn't first come from us and then come from God. And God's repaying us because we first gave to him. Everything that we have about God's salvation and everything within our lives has first come from God. So God doesn't need to pay back anything to me. What does God need to give me or to pay me for something that I have first done for him? 
It was mankind that walked away from God. It is God that has come to us. Every day that I have is a gift from God. The breath that I breathe is a gift from God. The salvation that I walk in, the grace that I stand in is from God. God doesn't owe me anything because I have first given to him. And that mindset builds up within believers sometimes. Well, I did this for God, but God did not return it back to me. And that mentality needs to be gone. In the prosperity gospel, there are those that preach, well, you give to God and God owes it back to you. That whole mentality is not based upon truth. There is not anything in my life that is good that has not first come from God in the first place. And so I don't have this mentality in any area of my life. Well, I have given to him. Now he has to pay me back for what I have done. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Think about that in our lives. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything in my life, to God be the glory. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And this is something of how not only the believers in Rome need to live their lives, but it's speaking for us today that everything that we do, we must do for the glory of God. It is a privilege to live a life for the glory of God. It is a waste of your life to try to live your life for yourself. And the next time we're going to flow into chapter 12, you're going to see that our response to God's mercy and God's grace is to lay our lives on God's altar to be a living and holy sacrifice unto God. And so everything that we do as believers should be for the glory of God. I want to worship Him, so my life belongs to Him. Everything that I possess belongs to God. Everything that God has given me, any gifts that I have, have first come from God. Let it be used for God's glory. And this is what God is going to do for the nation of Israel. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, and there's a day that God's mercy is going to be poured out upon Israel. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time as we have finished these chapters. God, use this time for your glory, not for man's glory, not for the benefit of any individual, but God, for your glory. And we give you praise today, and let there be a day that Israel, the nation, praises you, not through the rabbis, not through a man-made system, but they come to you through the blood of the Lamb of God, through their Messiah, and they know your righteousness has been poured out upon them. God, we pray for this, and we place everything in your hands. God, you know every detail of how this is going to take place We just walk by faith and trust that your word is true. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.